Fresh battery, folks. You know what that means. Long sermon. Make yourselves comfortable. No, not at all. John chapter 10. Going to read together from verse 11 right through to uh, verse 21. John 10, verse 11. This is God's word. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane, why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I always try, uh, when it comes to Food Sunday, <clears throat> when we're looking through uh, these encounters with Jesus to, to keep the focus on, on the gospel so that people can come in and hear the gospel. And even if they've no background in religion whatsoever, they can hear the good news of Jesus. They can understand how to respond to him. And in theory, they can come knowing nothing and be saved and go out again. Um, Having said that, if you've been with us for a while, you'll, you'll probably know that, that uh, the gospel is important to us as a church. And uh, it's not just on Food Sundays where we start talking about Jesus and how to follow him. Uh, we do that every Sunday. And um, the gospel is always, I hope, clear um, through every sermon. So that whether it's new people that come and hear or whether it's us that sit uh, and listen to the gospel week after week. One of the amazing things important things I picked up um, a few years ago from a, a guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a famous preacher from the last century. I read his book called Preaching and Preachers and he said um, basically that I preach the, he preaches the gospel every, every time he preaches a sermon, whether it's the sort of evangelistic talk for unbelievers or whether it's the sort of uh, addressing the regular church members because it's the same gospel that not only saves people but it's that gospel that actually takes them deeper into their salvation. It's that which actually grows them. So you don't, you don't hear the gospel and be saved and then move on to the, the more meaty things, the better theology, you know. Um, it's always about the gospel. It's always about Jesus. And so what I hope um, over the period of time you're with us here at Foundation, uh, week after week, you're hearing that same thing, not so that you get bored of it, but so that you learn and develop and, and uh, go deeper into that gospel. Um, oftentimes it's not a new information that we need to learn it's, it's, it's a, a new reckoning it's a fresh understanding and so it's just a, a pleasure and a joy to preach the gospel to you every Sunday uh, I want to come now to look at this text um, it's about the good shepherd hopefully you picked that up as we went through Jesus is a good shepherd he is the good shepherd um, and what I want to think about today 
and this part of the series, Encounters with Jesus, is ask a few questions um, of this text that we've just read. First of all, we're going to ask, what is a good shepherd? Secondly, um, I want to ask the question, why do we need a good shepherd? And thirdly, finally, what difference does it make? So what is a good shepherd? Why do we need one? And what difference does it make? Um, last month, we saw in John chapter 9, the passage before this one, where Jesus had just healed a blind man. And Jesus had come under attack from the religious authorities. And he'd been sort of defending himself. And so if anything, in this passage that we're reading, we've only read a, a section of it, uh, Jesus goes on the attack. He sort of defended his, his, uh, his ministry. And now, now he's sort of turning the tables, if you like. And the way he does that is by saying up front, I... I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Now, right off the bat, we've got to pause for a moment and, and address what we can consider to be a, a cultural distance between us and the first century uh, AD when, when all this stuff was written, when Jesus uh, was ministering. Because for us, perhaps when we think of shepherds, uh, we think of the characters at Christmas time. Maybe you dressed up as a shepherd at school. Um, perhaps an image of um, paintings or pictures of a sort of soft-focused, dreamy-eyed Jesus with a fluffy lamb around his neck comes to mind. Slightly effeminate Jesus, very romantic with misty eyes. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of shepherds. But let's strip all that away because that is not what Jesus is presenting himself as right here in this text. In fact, the, early, uh, sorry, the, the original hearers and readers of the, of the scriptures would have known exactly what he meant when he said, I am the good shepherd. Shepherds were predominantly men. They were hard men. They were rugged men. They were working men. They went out in all conditions. It was a 24-7, 365 day a year job. Uh, you didn't get to choose whether you stayed indoors because the weather wasn't very nice. You were there with the sheep uh, in the good weather, in the bad weather, in the storm, in the wind, in the sunshine, when there's shade or no shade. You were there. And your job was not to look after yourself. You were there as a shepherd to ensure that the sheep that you were looking after were thriving. They were being fed. They were being looked after. Even the shepherd was prepared to defend them against predators and I guess we we don't really have that many shepherds that are like this in our own culture but probably the closest type of individual that you might meet in Northern Ireland who's like a shepherd would be a fisherman one who goes out onto the trawler uh, into the North Sea someone from Kilkeel or Portavogie or Cork so basically you can never understand what they're talking about because of their accent uh, but they are often hard hardy individuals who go out for uh, days at a time and risk their lives to go and catch fish for us to eat so Jesus here anyway is portraying himself as a shepherd, as the leader of his flock. I'm a good shepherd. But what is it about Jesus that makes him specifically good? Or what is it about him that makes him a good shepherd? We'll look down at verse 11. He says this, uh, right at the start, I'm the good shepherd, immediately qualifies what he means. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. What makes Jesus a good shepherd? He lays his life down for the sheep. Again, in verse 15, he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. In verse 17, he says again, I lay my life down. This is what Jesus is willing to do to protect his sheep. 
He is willing to pay, if necessary, the ultimate price so that they can be protected and defended and brought into life. If necessary, Jesus is saying, as the good shepherd, he will step into the place of danger and he will fight to the death, if necessary, for the well-being of his sheep. That's why he's the good shepherd. But look, that's not all he says. That's not the only qualification he gives when he says, I'm a good shepherd. He says in verse 14, I'm a good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I know my own, my own know me. He's talking here about relationship. He's talking about intimacy between the sheep and their shepherd. Um, you don't have it printed out on your, on your service sheet, but earlier in this chapter, in verse 4 of this chapter, Jesus says, I call my own sheep by name and they know my voice. See, he knows his sheep personally. To him, the flock are not just some sort of faceless bunch of woolly animals. He knows them individually. He knows them by name. He has deep knowledge of them. He has deep care of each one. He knows the way they all function. That is why he is a good shepherd. And as nice as that is, he pushes it even further in verse 15. He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's how I know my sheep. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, that is how I know my sheep. When you, when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus and you, and you listen to uh, the stories he tells, you, you will realize that at the very least, Jesus is a, a master when it comes to telling stories and parables. And so Jesus, when he comes to describing himself as a good shepherd and how he relates to the sheep, Jesus could have used any comparison he knew of to describe his relationship to the sheep. But the one comparison that Jesus uses is the relationship that he knows most deeply and profoundly of all, which is his relationship to his heavenly father. And he picks on that and he says, that is how I relate to my sheep, is the way I relate to my heavenly father. Go back to the beginning of John's gospel account. John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's Jesus he's talking about. In the beginning with Jesus. Jesus was God and Jesus was with God. He's saying this, the son of God, that is Jesus, existed with the father before anything else came into being. The Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father from before eternity passed. And, and, and this relationship between the Father and the Son is the most perfect, the most loving relationship of complete joy, of intimacy, of perfection, of brilliance, of satisfaction. That is what was going on between the Father and the Son before the world came into existence. And that... It's how Jesus says he relates to his sheep. Mind-blowing. That is why he's the good shepherd. So Jesus is a good shepherd because he knows his sheep personally. He's a good shepherd because he loves them deeply and he's willing to pay the ultimate price if necessary. He's willing to give himself to protect them, to defend them, to keep them to ensure that his sheep have life and are free to go and flourish and have peace. And that is the gospel, right? Jesus 
we read, did give himself to death. His sheep, that is his people, were in mortal danger from their enemies. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, stepped into that place. He defended his people to death so that they might live. He gave himself up to death on the cross so that he might take down their greatest enemies and bring them to peaceful pastures. He said in chapter 10, verse 10, the verse before our verse, he says this, I came, that is Jesus, I came that they, the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. And Jesus here is saying, I'm the good shepherd and I will do whatever is necessary to secure abundant life for my sheep. So what is the good shepherd? The one who lays his life down for his sheep and knows his sheep by name. But I want to spend a bit, bit more time now thinking of the second question because um, th- that's just examina- an examination of the verses. You know, what is a good shepherd? And anyone can figure that out. But we need to take that a little step further, a bit deeper, a bit more personally. Why do we, why does anyone, but why do we personally, why do you need a good shepherd? Jesus is the good shepherd. We've just heard that. We, his people, if you like, people in general, are his sheep. We are his sheep in the church, I suppose you could say. But that's why we need a good shepherd, because we're sheep. The Bible says elsewhere, we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep left to their own devices will wander. They don't know how to get to life. They don't know how to thrive on their own. We think we know that we can have life and life abundantly on our own terms. And yet, what Jesus is saying here is, you can't get there unless you have a good shepherd. We need to be taken there. We need to be led there by the good shepherd. But just so you know, there are other players in the market when it comes to people or things that have leadership and rulership over you. There are other players. It's not just the sheep plus or minus the shepherd. Look down at verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. There are other workers at play. Hired hands were seasonal workers. They may have been hired, for example, during the lambing season when there was a lot of hands-on work to get done. They were there, for example, for the busy period where the money was. They were there when the weather's nice, when the sun was out. But according to Jesus, there is a a critical difference between a hired hand and a good shepherd. Because a hired hand does not own the sheep. And for that reason, he says in verses 12 and 13, when a wolf or some other enemy comes, the hired hand leaves the wolf would snatch and scatter the lambs or the sheep. The hired hand flees because he cares nothing for the sheep. See, a hired hand has a totally different relationship to the sheep, to the one that the good shepherd has that we just talked about. Hired hands have no interest in the sheep. Primarily, they are out for themselves. They're there to get paid. And any hint of danger, any trial, then they're off. They don't really care about the sheep. They might appear to care for short seasons, but generally when the pressure comes, hired hands will scarper. You see their true colours come out. They won't go to the mat for the sheep. 
like the good shepherd. They won't lay their lives down for the sheep like the good shepherd. They give the impression of presence, of help and concern, but the reality is that they are using the sheep for their own personal gain. Why do we need a good shepherd? Because otherwise, you and I would be led astray by these hired hands, these seasonal workers, people who are in it for themselves, people who see the sheep as a way to extort money and power. Only the good shepherd cares enough to give himself for the well-being of his sheep. Without the good shepherd, every single one of us is vulnerable to attack. Let's get a little more specific. In our day and age, who or what are the equivalent to the hired hands in Jesus' extended metaphor? Who are the hired hands for us today? In the original context, most likely Jesus was referring to the spiritual leaders of the people of Israel who have tried to extract wealth or build power or gain a platform for themselves through the people. So today, that could be any spiritual leader, a hired hand is any spiritual leader who uses and abuses the sheep for his or her own personal benefits. So it could be that you, as a sheep in some ways, have been hurt or used or abused by some kind of spiritual leadership, either physically, emotionally, financially. Maybe in some way you as a sheep have been manipulated or used by someone who is in spiritual leadership. That's who Jesus was primarily aiming at in these verses. Such people had the guise of caring, but as far as you have experienced or as far as you have known, they proved themselves to be in it for their own ends. But Jesus underscores right here, I'm not like that. Jesus has come to bring life, life that has been stolen by these hired hands. So specifically, that's what Jesus was talking about. But maybe we can press things out a little more broadly as well. Because I, I put it to you this evening that a hired hand in this context could be for us anyone or anything that has a major influence over us. Some controlling way over us in some way or other. Controlling us through our thoughts, controlling our emotions, controlling our behaviours, what we do, what we spend, where we go. Many people that I meet in medical spheres and just out in the general world are under the control of a manipulative or oppressive situation or person or people. Maybe you can relate to that in some way. The life is being slowly squeezed out of you. And Jesus is here to say today, I've come for you. I've come to give you life. But let's not think for a moment that a modern day equivalent of the hired hand is always a bad person or a negative situation or a circumstance. Because we could be equally controlled by something that on the surface is a good thing. But if we put our trust in that thing, if we look to it or them or that person for security, where only the good shepherd can give it, then that person, thing, situation will be for us a hired hand, will have control over us and will not lead us to life. 
For some people, it might be found in the context of a romantic relationship. Love is good. Romance is good. Both gifts from God. But if that's all you think about, if that relationship controls you to the extent where your happiness and peace depends on the other person, then maybe for you that relationship, rather than giving life, is taking life. Your happiness goes up when the relationship is working out. You become despondent and depressed if that relationship becomes under pressure or breaks up altogether. And so for some people, a romantic relationship could be the equivalent to a hired hand. Maybe for others it's your career. Work is good. Gift from God. Careers are good. Money is good. It's a gift from God when used rightly. But when your peace and your security are based on how well your job is going, on how quickly you progress up the ladder, on how much money you make every month, then it's controlling you. Because when your work is going well, you're happy. When it's going badly, it sinks you. You end up serving your career rather than your career serving you. For others, it might be family. The performance of your children, for example. Your entire life may be consumed or shaped around the happiness, well-being and success of your family. When they are happy and healthy and doing well, you are happy and healthy and doing well. But when something happens, if a child doesn't behave the way you think they should, if they don't respond to your teaching and training, if they fail to reach your expectations, then you become devastated. Then you are gripped by anxiety. Then you know there is a problem. Families are good. Children are good. But when they become the ultimate controlling guide of your life, that for you is your hired hand. The list goes on, okay? It could be your health. It could be your physical beauty. It could be your physical strength. It could be your mental achievements. It could be leisure. It could be some aesthetic experience. It could be food. All of these are good things, but they all have the power to dominate you and strip life out of you and dictate what you do. When the relationship's over, you fall to pieces. When the career disappoints, you're devastated. When the kids don't turn out, when your health fails, when your beauty fades, when your strength begins to weaken, when your very life is rocked, then you have been following a hired hand. And these things won't be there to save you when the wolves come running. They just don't possess the strength of the Good Shepherd. But, and here's the kicker, if you build your life on the knowledge that you have a Good Shepherd, then the wolves won't get you. If you know that you belong to the Good Shepherd, Jesus, then you will live safe and secure. You will be full of life. Because you see, in the Gospel, the Good Shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. But that wasn't it. Not only did Jesus lay his life down, but, says verse 17 and 18, he took it back up again. He chose to lay it down and he chose to take it up again. No one forced him. He says, I did it of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. Because ultimately, what good is a dead good shepherd? Even if he is a good shepherd... 
But Jesus is the good shepherd because he not only died, but came back again. And so, therefore, as of now, nothing can stop Jesus from being your good shepherd. Not even death can overcome him. Jesus, the good shepherd, died so that his sheep may not die. He came to life so that his sheep might share his life with him. That is why he says, I've come that they have life and have it in abundance. You see, when you understand that, when you start to relate to Jesus as your good shepherd, he gives you his life. He shares his resurrection, eternal, undefeatable life with you. Nothing can take that away from you, not even your own physical death. Not even the wolves, whatever they may be. Nothing. No circumstances you face, no experiences you've had. And you see, when you understand this, when you start to get the gospel of Jesus, and when you receive this gift by faith, it changes the way you look at your life. No longer will you look to your romantic relationships for the ultimate source of security or value in your life. Only Jesus can give you that himself, and he does. Instead, when you get Jesus as your good shepherd, you can pursue relationships in a healthy way, in a life-giving way. Same goes for your career. When Jesus is your good shepherd, you are free to pursue a career to the glory of God and yet not be controlled by it. Same goes with your family. You are free to love and enjoy your family knowing that the gospel of Jesus is greater. Same too with your wealth, your intellect, your beauty, or whatever it happens to be. The good shepherd frees you to enjoy these good gifts for what they are, rather than looking to them for what only he can provide. So what is the good shepherd? Why do we need him? And thirdly, let's think for a few moments before we close out. What difference does it make if you make Jesus Christ the center of your life, the center of your heart, if he's your good shepherd, then what difference does that make? First of all, there's three. It makes an existential difference, there's a social difference, and there's an ethical difference. Real quick. Existential difference. That means how you feel, you know, moment by moment. How do you experience Jesus? Maybe you can see for the first time how vulnerable you can be under a hired hand, under someone or something that has no interest in protecting you or no power to protect you. Instead, when you see Jesus as the good shepherd, you'll come to understand that you are eternally, eternally protected, eternally safe. And so you, you will live in this kind of peace that seems, maybe to some outside the faith, will seem highly unusual, especially if you go through stressful and troubled times. Because when Jesus is your good shepherd, and when you take that truth deep into your heart, you will learn to respond to difficulties, trials, and tribulations with faith and hope. No matter what those situations actually are, you will live you will more and more a settled life, one that is increasingly free from the control of anxiety. When Jesus is your good shepherd, you'll come to understand that he knows what is best for you. He knows the best pastures to take you to. And he's done all that is needed for you to receive what is best for you. What difference does it make? It gives you this peace 
there's tranquility, there's hope. Number one, the existential difference. But secondly, when Jesus is your good shepherd, it makes a social difference as well. Just pick up on verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. See, when you come under the good shepherd, then you step into this community, this flock that he is creating. You will join others who also listen to his voice and follow him. Originally, in this context, it was referring, Jesus was referring to the Gentiles, those non-Jews, those from outside the Jewish ethnic line. They were going to be brought in too. And so Jesus, we can see, is setting up a diverse group of people, a flock. And so when you make Jesus your good shepherd, when he becomes to you your good shepherd, you will enter into community that is known for its diversity, whether ethnicity, socioeconomic, various traditions, all that stuff. That's the church, by the way, folks. How does this happen? This happens through unity. He says, one flock, one shepherd. All of these people, different backgrounds, different races, different experiences coming together around the good shepherd, sharing him together through the gospel. There is powerful unity in the good shepherd. You see the existential difference, you see the social difference. Thirdly and finally, you'll see an ethical difference. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. The gospel writer John also wrote this in one of his letters, 1 John 3, 16. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, same language, and we ought to lay our lives down for one another. See what John does there? He connects the life-giving, sacrificial love of Jesus for us. And he says, therefore, if we understand that, if he's our good shepherd, then we go and do likewise with one another. We lay our lives down for one another. In this diverse community that Jesus is forming, the flock, it shall be defined by this ethic, this code of conduct. We lay our lives down for one another. The self-giving service. When we understand and receive the good shepherd and the life that he offers, it transforms our hearts. It makes us love people that we previously would not have crossed the street to serve. Irritating people. People you don't naturally get on with. And yet because your heart has been so deeply transformed by the gospel of Jesus, you will find yourselves laying your lives down for one another this fresh and new desire to serve the good shepherd will come out in the way that we serve one another. And so this evening, let's come again to the good shepherd, whether for the first time or in renewed commitment and desire for him. Let's trust him by putting our faith in him and let him lead us to that life abundance that only he can provide. Let's pray. Father God, would you take these words of mine and the words of scripture that you have inspired and, 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 and may you press them deep into us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, use, use this 
to fix our eyes more keenly on Jesus, our good shepherd. Father, where there is resistance in our hearts, in our lives, areas that we have not permitted him access, we turn away from that resistance and we give ourselves to you fully. Father, help us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our good shepherd, who laid his life down and took it up again so that we may have life. Amen.